Today on Security Science, the Exploit Prediction Scoring System, now with live data. Thank you all for joining us as we catch up on the latest developments of the Exploit Prediction Scoring System, aka EPSS. If you haven't already, you can listen to the first podcast on EPSS back on September 15th of the year that shall not be named, but ends with a 20. In this episode, we spoke with Michael Reutemann and Dr. Ben Edwards, uh, two of the co-creators, along with Idris Ajarid, and apologies if I didn't get the last name right, haven't met you yet in person. We actually recorded the episode shortly after EPSS had become a first.org special interest group alongside other notable groups like CVSS and PCERT. And we'll be picking up with uh, a couple of the co-creators and the two co-chairs of EPSS special interest group, starting with everyone's favorite cruncher of massive data sets, expert wielder of Bayesian inference, and the likely source of paternal DNA for Ben Edwards. Scientia Institute partner and co-founder, Jay Jacobs. How's it going, Jay? Good. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Uh, we actually have a special guest today as well. So uh, our next guest researches the economics of security and privacy, national security, applied microeconomics, and law and economics. He was a former uh, research fellow in the Information Law Institute at New York University and former cyber policy advisor at the Pentagon one of the original co-authors of the Common Vulnerability Scoring System and EPSS. His list of publications is longer than my entire resume, and the Department of Defense literally gave him a medal for exceptional public service. If you've ever scored a vulnerability before, you can blame Dr. Sasha Romanowski. Welcome, Sasha. How's it going? Hi. Good, thanks. Awesome. Uh you know, I just wanted to give the audience a quick primer because this is picking up from the last time we did an overview of EPSS and a lot's actually changed. So I'll just do a quick readout of kind of the goals of EPSS and then we'll kick into the meat of the discussion. So the exploit prediction scoring system is an open data driven effort at, for predicting when software vulnerabilities will be exploited. The goal is to assist network defenders to better prioritize vulnerability remediation efforts while other industry standards have been useful for capturing innate characteristics of a vulnerability and provide measures of severity, they are limited in their ability to assess threat. EPSS fills that gap because it uses current threat information from CVE and real-world exploit data. The EPSS model produces a probability score between 0 and 1, so 0 and 100%. The higher the score, the greater the probability that a vulnerability will be exploited. So now that we got that out of the way, I just wanted to go back and Sasha, this is the first time you've been on our podcast. So it would, I think it'd help orient our audience. If you give a little bit of background, you know, you created CVSS, you've worked for the Pentagon, you have a very, very long list of bona fides. Um, walk us through a quick summary. What got you into scoring vulnerabilities and vulnerability remediation programs in general? So back in the day, I was working at eBay doing vulnerability management. And so this was early 2000s, and CVSS was just getting started. And um, uh, so it was a coalition of vendors, and, and I, I guess some academics, although I don't recall specifically, but industry folks and some nonprofits and stuff. Surge, I think, was, was part of it too. And it was, 
it was an effort born out of the White House, came out of the White House to create some kind of scoring system that was open, right? So there, I think at the time, CERT had a scoring system between zero and 180, kind of measured a bunch of different things. SANS, I think, had a scoring system as well, but it was closed and it measured like internet threats. So but anyway, so there's, because of all of these murky, let's say, scoring systems, there's an effort to create something that was sort of open. So anyway, that's how I got involved in it. And I think at the time we were, you know, we were happy to participate and um, not really sure where it was going to go and if it was going to become anything, mm -hmm. but again, happy to do it. Uh, and so I guess over the years, it, you know, kind of became a thing. And at the time it was very useful. The original effort, right, we had this lofty goal of actually turning it into a risk score. And and I think if you take into account the environmental and temporal and the base and you get something kind of like a risk score, um, which is fine, but but obviously over the years, you know, the environmental and temporal never really took off because there was no process for firms to kind of keep up to date on that. The information just wasn't available and they could do the best they could. And, um, but it just sort of just didn't work, right? Didn't work very well. So anyway, so it's, you know, we are where we are now, where the base score is, is really what people um, listen to. And I think we've all come to realize that it does a very good job at identifying these characteristics of a vulnerability, right? At capturing them. Do you need physical access to the machine? Can you exploit this thing from across the internet? You know, good, all good. Um, it is also true, though, that it has, you know, some limitations, right? Some people balk at the, you know, the so-called math and equations behind it. And that's fine. They would be, you know, they would they would be correct, right? Because it is a so-called math. In fact, it would be inappropriate to even <laughs> think of it as as anything like a kind of a mathematical model, right? It is at most an expert system, mm -hmm. right? It's qualitative through and through. So you get numbers, but... But no one should think of that. Well, it's, it's trained towards expert opinion, right? Yes, 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 exactly. Right, right, right. And so I think because, you know, because you end up with numbers, people think of it as, as maybe this, um, this cardinal scale that they can apply mathematical operations to and on and on where, where they shouldn't really, right? So it's, it's, it's faulty in that way, but at the same time, it's useful. But so we're all models, right? So there's, there's really no difference. But the big deal is that, of course, it doesn't incorporate anything about threat. There is no data-driven process or, or information behind any of it. And so that's, that's what we really wanted to solve. And so uh, I forget how I came to meet Jay. We were on a panel at an insurance conference. At the Net Diligence Conference, right? Like Philadelphia? Probably. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and I say I think we were probably birds of feather, thinking that there's you know this is a neat thing that we're doing, and there are all kinds of great data around, and yeah, and one or not. Plus, we share the same haircut. You know? Yeah. I mean, we're sort of doppelgangers, which is a little embarrassing for for at least me, <laughs> right? Um, and there's a little Ben Edwards running around somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I had always admired Jay's work, of course. And and as he was telling me about the exploit stuff he was he was doing with Kenna, it struck me that look, there's a real opportunity here to make a difference, right? To provide provide a capability that has never before been available, right? Which is to to use real world data to track the threat and get an understanding of the threat landscape, and to fill a hole. 
about vulnerability exploitation, and that was that was just dynamite, right? This 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 effort would be nothing without without any of those data, without Jay behind it. So um, I, th I think we're both really happy with what we've done so far, and we're looking forward to yeah. uh, growing it. I want to add too that I think one of the strengths that Sasha brought to the project is that he knows I think everybody. No, wait, let me rephrase that. Anybody who's anybody knows Sasha, you see. <laughs> and so Sasha, through those connections, was able, I think the SIG actually came about because you were like reaching out, you know, sort of went down down your contact list and you're like, hey, so-and-so, did you want to join? And hey, so-and-so, did you want to join? And just, we got, I don't know, a few hundred people now or whatever. I don't even know what we're at, but 70. See, now you're just mocking me. No, I'm actually serious that like, I think... Most of those are because of your contacts and your connections brought that together. Well, I'm sure the experience of uh, having a special interest group created around CVSS as well is probably very, very helpful for the development, right? Yeah. Now, now there isn't a whole lot of overlap between participants, which is fine, right? There doesn't need to be. Uh, I think we're all operating in the same space, though. So... You know, what does remain is a way to figure out, okay, how do these different efforts, can they coexist? And if they can coexist, how best can they coexist? And what information and what strategies should network defenders, risk managers, whatever use in order to make the most of them? Got it. Like if I'm following along, right? So if we're looking at kind of the origination of EPSS, like CVSS is kind of a technical grade, for lack of a better word, that's based off of the the details of the vulnerability itself, right? And the technology that it's on. Whereas EPSS kind of solves the outside in challenge, right? So you're looking at, let's use some real world data from external to basically enrich the technical vulnerability details. Am I tracking along that correctly? Or? Yeah, yeah. Now, there's, you know, there's a bit of a an internal debate on on how that should play out. <laughs> there are some people in this world who shall not be named who think that, you know, look, CVSS, whatever it is, just kind of isn't working. It should go away. And, you know, any PSS can replace it entirely and completely because at the end of the day, it's really exploitability that people care about. Okay. And another camp, and I'm in this camp, is to say, look, they both provide useful bits of information. And so let's, you know, let's make the most of them. And, and incorporate both of them into our whatever decision strategies. And so we have some of the content on the, on the webpage, on the first website, on the EPSS website, sort of shows how you can create this little, well, let's call it a risk matrix, but it's not exactly a risk matrix, showing EPSS on one axis and CVSS on the other axis and, and plotting a bunch of the vulnerabilities. And to say, like, look, the stuff in the high, high is, is, are those that we need to worry about the most. And the stuff in low, low, you know, we can deprioritize. And the others, you know, like, there needs to be a strategy to figure those out. But those are important insights that we're collecting from, from, from this effort. And, you know, Sasha was kind of hinting that there are some people who thought that there's a, you know, the other side to that debate. Um, and I, I do think that CVSS, one of the core strengths is that they came up with a set of, data points uh, that, you know, the, the roundtable of experts 
all agreed and nodded their heads that these things would be important to know. And in fact, as we're modeling, a lot of those are super important to know um, as we look at the, the answers to these questions that CVSS is posing in the base score. Several of those are ranking towards the, you know, easily in the top 10 variables out of hundreds of variables. And so it's it's interesting to think about that. And so I think I see CVSS as being a really critical role in, in data collection and being able to centralize that, having NVD now centralizing the collection of CVSS answers to the questions is a really, really helpful thing. Now, how going forward, we want to use an EPSS score and a CVSS score. I do think that there's some more opportunity to define the, I, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I mean, I've spent so much time working on EPSS and how grounded it is. And I just, I always struggle with exactly what CVSS is measuring. So I don't. <laughs> Wait, so I have I have I, both sides of this debate on this call here. Yeah, this is absolutely. awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> I do not awesome. have this cognitive limitation that, that Jay oh, seems who? to have. Oh, it's, um, <laughs> oh wow. This is amazing. Well, I mean, let's go back real quick. So so you're saying that some of the characteristics that are being measured and were first defined by CVSS, right? Um, yeah. that look for the 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 how severe a vulnerability is and or can be, right? You're saying that they correlate very highly with whether or not something's exploited. There are certain answers to questions uh, that correlate with exploitation in the wild. Um, like off the top of my head, uh, what is PRN? That's a privilege required none. Uh, so if a vulnerability can exploit it without any sort of privilege, yep, that correlates highly with how exploited it tends to be in the wild. Um, and it's not like if there's none, no, no privilege required, it's going to be exploited. Nothing like that at all. It's just slightly high elevated pro probability of it being exploited in the wild. And there's just, you know, like, a, what was the other one? Scope change of none or something. But there's a few things like that where, like, the specific question and a specific answer, uh, there's a few of them that are very highly correlated. So to be clear, what we're finding is that the base score itself, the number itself, while statistically significant in predicting exploitability is practically insignificant. So the change is very small and next to negligible, which means that there's practically no correlation between EPSS score and CVSS, which means that CVSS, the base score, the number itself is not a good predictor of whether or not a vulnerability will be exploited or not, period. Yes. But what Jay is saying is that some of the metrics of CVSS are strong predictors of whether or not a vulnerability will be exploited. And that's really important. That's hopefully not too much of a nuance because it's a really important fact that, and, and that's actually kind of what we want to see, right? We, like part of the reason those metrics exist, like scope change and privileges required and, and um, are to are because we think that, look, if they exist, then they are more likely to be exploited by sort of attackers. That's not exactly the way we were thinking at the beginning, but that's effectively it. We think these are important characteristics. Yeah. And to be able to show that sort of through data is, is, somewhat, um, is somewhat satisfying. But I think what we're finding is that when you mash all of that together, I don't know why everyone's smiling here. When you mash that together into this like very aggregate score that is exploitability and impact, that number just gets, there's just so much noise in that number that it's not predictive of, of anything. It still may be useful as a severity score, but it's not predictive of that, which is fine, right? Like it's, it's totally fine. 
Well, it's because the outcome measures two different things, right? Ultimately, one is going for a percent chance it's going to be leveraged, making a prediction, right? And one is going through, okay, how easy and or severe would the the outcome, is it to actually take advantage of this particular software vulnerability, right? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to remain calm and, and let this sort of go where it's going, but uh, just know there are you know, there's other takes on this whole perception of how how these things go together. Uh, okay, well, here let's uh, let's. So Jay is a fundamentalist. I've I've determined an <laughs> ideal ideological fundamentalist in this data world. Uh, if it's if it's not somehow provable through these observations, that's, that's one of my it, strengths, right, Sasha? That's where you're headed. I mean, strengths, <laughs> strengths, <laughs> air quote uh. strengths. Uh, again, like any model, right? It's going to be wrong, but it may be useful, right? And so let's understand where it's wrong and let's understand where yeah. it's useful. So, And once we figure out where we can measure where it's useful, I'm happy to have that discussion. <laughs> <laughs> there, uh, I got one in. I just slid that in. <laughs> now we can go it's on. It's fine. It's fine. It's all good. It's all good. Man. This is the best virtual boxing match I've ever been on. This is amazing. Oh, but this uh, is actually really tame. Some of the discussions that Sasha and I get to have on this topic. We I can imagine. Yeah. Do you yeah, guys get fun. together? Like, it's are you guys time. going to Black Hat? Because this will be fun. No, I, um, I'm not. I don't think oh, so. Oh, come on. We're rocks. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're rocks smashing together, making softer rocks. Was that the analogy? Something like that. Ultimately, you guys are helping to progress the uh, the quote unquote science of uh, vulnerability management yeah. thus far. So, yeah. Well, I mean, getting back on that topic a little bit, right? You guys, last time we did um, this kind of uh, the overview of EPSS, you guys had just just started getting the kickoff for EPSS as a special interest group under first.org, right? Um, yeah. So, tell me a little bit about that. And Sasha, you mentioned earlier, right? Having open kind of scoring systems, things like that, are really important ultimately, right? Because that helps us even speak in the same language, right? Ultimately, I think is what what Jay you were speaking about, right? With these characteristics that there was now there's a universal definition that we can use to go actually track some of this stuff. So if one company is saying one thing, the other company understands the same thing, right? And that's important mm-hmm. in and of itself. So let's talk about the first SIG a little bit. What's changed a little since uh, this has become a SIG? I think you guys have regular meetings and you guys can have these debates uh, live, right? Every other Friday, something like that? Yeah. Yeah, every other Friday uh, around lunchtime, depending on time zone. Yep. One of the cool things is that, you know, we don't just focus on EPSS. I think a lot of the meetings we're talking about certain aspects or requirements or, you know, progress that we're making. Uh, but a lot of it actually is having other researchers come in and talk about some of the work that they've done. You know, like we had recently, we had uh, Aaron uh, Leverett came in and talked about a, a prediction system that he had trying to predict CVEs, sort of the volume and and vendors of CVEs before they're even coming out. Like, you know, in the next year, we expect to see this many of this type and this many of this type and sort of that that sort of broad stroke thing, which is really interesting. And then, uh, you know, like uh, Octavian Sichu, I I think I butchered his last name, but he, you know, he's got a system where he's trying to not predict the exploitation, but to predict exploitation code being released to the public. And so, Hmm. and that's something we're actually working on trying to work into the next version of EPSS, having his model generate that stuff. And if something is likely to have an exploit published, we're going to try and factor that in and see if that helps the predictability of the exploitation, actual exploitation in the wild. 
So there's a lot of sort of fringe discussions that go on and different researchers and academics and practitioners that join in the discussion. Interesting. Sasha, any uh, commentary on uh, how you've seen this grow over the course of the last, like, I don't know, what, September is six months ago? <laughs> Something like that? Yeah, no, it's getting close. Yeah, so we had our one-year anniversary a, a month or two ago, a couple months yeah, ago. Yeah, that's right. Uh, which is nice. No, it's nice to see. I mean, like Jay said, we have 70-plus um, people signed up for the email list and and for the um, – uh, for, for our Slack channel and for the meetings. And we get a good group of participants who show up every other week. 11 a.m. Eastern time is the time, Jay. Not about about <laughs> lunch, but actually 11 a.m. Um, we, we moved in an hour earlier. In, in fact, to uh, accommodate uh, folks in Europe, right? So it's very much an international group and there are a number of people in Europe who wanted to join. And so, you know, again, we're happy to happy to accommodate. It's probably about as early as we can go because we also need to accommodate people on the, um, on the West Coast. Those in Australia, however, are... Um, are at a disadvantage. So we have kind of a great woman from university in Australia who's, she, yeah, she's, so it's not going to work out for her because it's middle of the, middle of the <laughs> yeah, in the middle of the night. Um, but it's nice to see. There are lots of people interested. Uh, obviously, as an open group, as a volunteer group, you know, we'd like sort of more contributors, right? Everybody goes through this, right? Any kind of like free open development, whatever effort. Lots of people are interested, like hang out and to kind of listen to see what's going on. And very few of them, though, actually sort of take an act, an active role. But it's fine. I get it. I get it. It's, you know, everyone has their pet interests and their priorities. So it's all good. Um, but like Jay said, we have a good assortment of academics and researchers and government people like federal government agency people uh who are very keen on you know on, on hearing what we're finding over their new discoveries and our new modeling uh and vendors and sort of other risk manager network defender people so it's exactly you know the kind of folks that we want um and happy to have everyone anyone participate so yeah to anyone who's listening if you would like to participate reach out to us and and uh you're welcome to join First.org slash EPSS. Yeah, I'll have the link on the <laughs> podcast page as well under the additional information so everyone could go there. If you want to participate, hit them up. Um, they do have contact information and I will link that. So there's, there's two other things too that we wanted to try and focus on being part of First and getting the SIG going. Uh, and one of them was trying to automate as much of it as possible. Uh, as Sasha mentioned, you know, CVSS, part of the challenge with CVSS is that the um, the temporal and the, what was it, the environmental score, they just aren't used a lot. Um, and so people sort of go for that base score and there are a lot of effort and there are a lot of effort to keep current and you sort of need, you know, different feeds perhaps to feed into that. And there's just, there's a lot of infrastructure that has to go up for people to, maybe not a lot, but there's some infrastructure that has to go up. There's a cost to it. And sort of learning that lesson, one of the things that we tried to do, you know, we built the first version to be implemented by customers, by anybody who wants to try and implement this. And everything was open about it and you could implement it even in Excel. But as we go forward, we're going to try and flip that around so that 
uh, we wanted to try and centralize that. So one of the core things that we wanted to do was to start collecting data and automate that data collection and automate the scoring so that people, rather than have to figure out the formula, figure out how to put this math stuff in Excel, collect in V1, it was 16 variables, collect these variables and assign them. And for every CVE and to do this, rather than do all that, we're just going to create right now, people can go to uh, first.org slash EPSS and there's a download link. You can actually download a CSV with all of the scores. And so all of that scoring is done. We've got a bunch of threat intel feeds and different data sources that we're now collecting on a daily basis and generating those EPSS scores on a daily basis. And updating them on a daily basis. So we actually find that some of the data we're using changes a little bit more than we expected. And so right when a CVE comes out, we get an EPSS score and then NVD will publish, you know, what they have for it. But sometimes like the CPE information may lag by three or four days, for example. And then once they publish the vendor information and the CPE, we can take that and say, oh, now we know it's from this vendor. and We're going to update it and the score shifts and things like that. So it's a real time, you know, here's the actual information we have uh, for this particular CVE. And if we notice that a exploit code is being published to GitHub or something, that's going to factor into that EPSS score real time. And so now companies don't have to do all of this overhead, all of this extra stuff. And so that was one of the two things that we really wanted to focus on. And we've largely done that. Interesting. Yeah, I just to uh, catch everyone up, uh, the EPSS, when it first launched, you could implement this, like you said, in, a, in an Excel sheet if you wanted to. What you're saying now, and I think the probably the biggest external change that I've noticed uh, since launch is now you guys have a full data and statistics section under force.org and you can go see relatively live stats, um, you know, and we'll go over some of the background data sources and stuff um, like you already did, right? And some of the challenges, right? Because things change and aren't updated immediately. Um, I will also link this here, but there's some really, really rich data and people can go download this. So you guys are essentially crunching the numbers, right? Yep. Yep. On a daily basis. And we're crunching everything on a daily basis except the data and stats page. Um, the, the page that shows those graphics, those are generated when I get around to it. So right <laughs> now they're still manual. They're done on my laptop. And so when when they get updated, like I'm trying to do it daily and I'm trying to stay on top of it. So like you said, they're mostly up to date. You know, there might be a day where I'm recovering from something. I don't know. But um you know, or I just don't do it that day. Or like on Friday, we had a problem with some of the data processing. And so I just didn't generate it. And so we're working on, you know, maturing this process. You know, the first step is always to get it working, then, you know, start to mature it. And most, it might be a couple of days where there's a lag. It's not like this oh, is yeah. happening every other month or anything. So yeah, and the, the scores themselves are pretty stable. So those are and if generated you want the latest, not on my laptop. <laughs> Go tweet to Jay basically to go uh, update it. <laughs> tweet him a CVE and he'll respond with the score. <laughs> That's automated, quote unquote. His DMs are open. Right? It's like it's like Ouch. Kramer telling you the times of any uh, of any movie when you call. Right. Um, the so yeah so it is fun to go look at the pages and look, and to look at the graphics and Jay's done a, a tremendous job getting all of that set up. Um, and it's fun to look at, right? So what we see are these these exploit data, right? I don't know if anyone has seen that before, like an actual graph of daily exploits by CVE over, say, a six-month window, 
right? So what would what would your prior be for any given vulnerability? Is it exploited like every day, so solid for six months, or is it exploited a couple days here, a couple days there, maybe just on weekends? Is is it exploited for two weeks straight and then nothing happens, right? Like what does that look like? So it's great to look at, right? I mean, it's great to visualize and and to try and understand and unpack these these results that you're seeing. Like like what what is the decision process behind each of these vulnerabilities and each of these exploits? Is it all botnet traffic? Is it all denial of service? Are these actual malicious attackers going for ransomware? Something something something, right? Like who knows? There's a story behind each of those vulnerabilities and each of those exploits. Now. We're not at the stage yet of being able to provide a theory for understanding why this vulnerability is being exploited this time and sort of at this rate with this kind of um, pattern. But, you know, we're just starting this and that's that's kind of where we want to get to. But it all starts with sort of having the data in front of you and, and asking, you know, questions, right? Asking maybe they're goofy questions, um, but that leads to more conversations. And that's part of the fun with... Uh, uh, with these meetings that we have, these conversations. It's great stuff. It's really exciting. And one other thing about the the statistics that we're generating, the plots and stuff, like I, I actually don't look at them before they get published and it's all generated. You know, we go grab the data automatically and then I hit a button and it generates all of these plots automatically and then I hit another button and it updates the website and then sometimes I go and look and I'm like, oh, that's super cool. Like, did you see what I just posted, Sasha? Like, look at that. That's super cool. And so I'm not doing, you know, like we're not, you know, going through this manually and saying, let's pick out this thing. It's like we're trying to capture yeah. things, you know, uh, in an automated sense. Automation is going to be the key here. Yeah. Well, and the, the I'll, I'll link it's first.org slash EPSS slash data underscore stats if you're trying to follow along. But I encourage everyone listening to go take a look. Um, you can download the data set like they said. And there's some really cool charts. And I'm a comms guy. I like pretty pictures and colors and things like that. Um, you know, explanations that are really simple. And so it's fun to actually go look at, you know, these shifting uh, EPSS scores and the top rated CVEs over the last 30 days and to see kind of the percentage volumes that are going out there. Um, I've never seen anything quite like it. So, I mean, kudos to you guys for automating and making it kind of visual so people can understand kind of the mechanics of what goes into these calculations, right? Yeah, it's the user guide and exploit data page that has more discussion of like risk management-y things and then other key points and properties of EPSS and how it can help people and different stakeholders in different kinds of ways. And then at the bottom is the exploit data. Yeah, let's jump into that a little bit as well. So, um, you know, I we touched on it earlier. So some best practices on kind of how to use the system, right? So EPSS relates only to the threat component. Um, you guys have a pretty like simple, I guess, equation. So risk equals threat times vulnerability times impact. Anyone following along at home can check it out on first.org slash EPSS slash user dash guide. Um, and Sasha, do you mind walking us through a little bit? Like, what's a good use case and how should people think about leveraging CVSS and EPSS and applying that to their own programs at this point? Well, I don't know if that's a loaded question because if you ask Jay, he, he will have a different <laughs> answer. I didn't load it, um, but we can have both of them. <laughs> 
So again, I would say, and, and to what we describe is, you know, if if you are an organization that uses EPSS already and you're looking, or CVSS already, and you're looking to incorporate EPSS, or you just want to use both of them together, yeah, then you can ingest these data and you can plot them on a little matrix, and what you get is a really interesting picture of how vulnerabilities fall into these different quadrants. And so from that, you know, based on whatever, you know, processes the organization is going to have, you can prioritize and deprioritize remediation or patching or whatever of, of each of these vulnerabilities. And, and to me, that makes sense. To me, that makes sense and, and, and rings true. Now, of course, it's not the whole picture because, and it's quite likely that every organization is going to be, you know, potentially marred, if that's the right word, with internal bureaucratic licensing, employee resources, whatever other issues, yeah. uh, you know, in, in order to all patch this stuff. And that's fine too, but that's, and that's part of what we want to understand and figure out if there's a better way or how we can best way produce these scores for people to ingest and consume them and incorporate them. But you know, we can't solve all of those problems. Um, we can start with what we have. And so given what we have, we're sort of presenting in the easiest way. But the story I see it is that all other things being equal, these charts here provide kind of good indications of what kinds of vulnerabilities should be addressed first. So decision support, kind of like we were talking yeah, about. Earlier. Yeah, right, 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 right. So I want to I want to jump in uh, how to use it. And, and Dan, you mentioned the, the, I don't know if I want to call it a formula, but the risk equals threat times vulnerability times impact. And I would think of that more of a, a mental guide um, because anytime completely outside of cyber anytime you talk about risk uh, even within cyber but anytime you talk about risk you've got some sort of frequency of event and some sort of impact and you you know if you're modeling uh, hurricane or or tornado winds you know you want to understand what is the force of the wind that's going to come at you or the force of the the tidal push. Um, if you're talking about earthquake, the amount of shaking that's going to occur, you know, that frequency, how long, how is it going to do that? Or, or like if you're talking about river flooding, you want to talk about like a one in a hundred year flood, which is uh, every hundred years, they expect the water to rise so much to exceed some level. And so that's a hundred, one in a hundred year event. So they talk about frequency and the impact. And so in cyber, we'll break down that frequency into the threat and vulnerability calculations. Cause you may have a threat that force pushing on your defenses that is someone perhaps trying to exploit a vulnerability. And then the vulnerability side is how well you can resist that or lack of resistance, right? Are you actually vulnerable to it? Have you patched your systems? All of that good stuff. And so it's more of a mental model. And so if you think of threat times vulnerability times impact, if any of those are zero, they're not going to be successful, right? And so if, for example, if you look at the threat side, which is specifically what EPSS is measuring is that threat side, if the attacker never attacks, you could probably delay fixing it, right? If there's nobody ever going to exploit this vulnerability, you could probably delay it. Now, if you know for a fact- Or never do it in this case, if you know it's never going to be exploited, right? <laughs> yeah, in, in reality, that tends to be what happens. But, uh, you know, and then on the flip side, if you have a really high rating for that that threat, that exploitations in the wild, that you you probably may want to address it. Uh, depending on, you know, are you vul how vulnerable are you? Uh, is it a bad, you know, vulnerability? And then if it's on a critical system or not, all of these things will factor into it if there's a threat in that picture. Um, and so just keeping that in mind that EPSS is specifically looking at that, that external force being applied to your defense, 
right? That, that threat and the threat vulnerability impact type of equation. One is guide, right? Going back to the kind of earthquake uh, analogy, right? The, the impact piece could also be like, you know, was your building as a, as a resident of San Francisco, <laughs> right. uh, when was the last time my building was retrofit, right? Like, is it yeah. earthquake safe, right? And, and so, I mean, like people are going to invest more in a huge sky rise for earthquake protection than they would their tool shed, right? I mean, like you're, you're probably going to put nothing in your tool shed to prevent, you know, damage from earthquake. But in a huge high rise, you have all these structures that go in place to, to minimize the impact. It's always fun to get into how to use the system, right? It's still early days. You guys are still obviously like thinking and debating and having very healthy discussions about how, you know, to apply uh, these new kinds of both qualitative and quantitative measures, right? That's ultimately what it's coming down to. Um, I think one of the key questions is as well is like, you know, it's easy to take a scoring system and be like, I want to use this and you know, structure everything around it. It's concrete. It's easy for me as like, you know, a business process person to think about if it's 10, I go do this. If it's less than five, I don't do this. Right. Right. Um, type of a thing. What I think it'd be interesting for you guys to discuss, you know, how would you not use this data right now? Like how would you not apply it or what would be kind of inappropriate at this stage? Exactly what you just said. <laughs> I would not, <laughs> I, I nailed would not it. say like, Hey, anything above this score, we're going to fix. Anything below it, we're not. Like that is that is not how to use it. Um, what I would try to do is set what is what is our capacity for remediation, right? And that's going to vary across systems. Like you may have a different capacity on your Windows desktops than your servers, than your you know Linux or network devices. You know you're going to have different capacities on all of your different flavors of devices. And but understand that capacity and then reach it or exceed it every every month or quarter or whatever you want to measure it by because what what EPSS allows you to do is to start at the big numbers and work down you know so if you look across your network and you've got some things that are rated even above like a 0.2 maybe because uh, EPSS is talking about probability and the probability is generally very, very low for most of these. Yeah. Um, so like anything above a 0.2 is I think, you know, in the top 90% or top 10% of vulnerabilities. But just started started the big ones and work down. And if you have extra capacity, just keep going down. You know, don't stop and be like, ah, we're done at, you know, at whatever cutoff I set, uh, just keep going. And hopefully if you establish your capacity and you keep going, you can actually work down some of the longer terms that, that tend to be exploited a little bit less, but they still may be exploited, right? Just take your capacity and put it to use. Got it. It's Sasha, how about you? Yeah, so there's a good point that um, we sort of touched on, which is we don't provide any, any information about the cost of patching. Right. So in a full risk management process, there are many other factors. Fine. Um, one of which is cost. What is the effort to patch all these things? And especially if a patch contains fixes for a dozen or 20 vulnerabilities or something like we can't incorporate that into the model. We just don't have that information right now, um, which is which is fine. So, again, it's a matter of all other things equal, you know, vulnerabilities that score higher on EPSS. You want to prioritize those and, um, and, and conversely with those that. That, that score lower and i think jay and i are pretending to have all the answers for everybody yeah. but um yep. but i think there is a fear that i mean there's a bit of a fear that i have that look if the reality again that for a lot of companies is that um 
really what drives their practices is you know, a call from the CEO or I, uh, restrictions in IT resources or, or something or which vendor provides automated patching as opposed to whatever is. And like this doesn't even enter into their calculus and there's just no way it can like, you know, that that's too bad. That's too bad. Um, right. But what we sort of hope for is that, you know, for these the small set of vulnerabilities where people do have an opportunity to make decisions, we hope to provide them information where they can make better decisions. Right, it's not these dozen vulnerabilities you want to fix first. It's sort of these dozen because they have a higher score. So, I, I guess I, I might recognize that it's on the margin um, that we're speaking. But it would be nice to, you know, to see this fully integrated and 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 have more of an impact. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I think in reality it's going to be a lot more complex than what any of us are saying here. Yeah, I, I'm king of uh, oversimplifying security. <laughs> yeah, uh, always. Just go patch it. It's easy, right? There's no yeah. such thing as downtime, and it's- we do have an advantage here. And I and I am really curious to see if this ever um, comes to fruition or or turns into anything exciting. Is that one of the limitations with CVSS is that it's it's based on the unit of observation is a vulnerability, right? It has no capability to scale to a computer, a server, a network, an office, an enterprise, anything like that. It, it just can't. There's just no way to do it. But we can, right? EPSS can, right? So if we're talking about the probability of a vulnerability and you have many vulnerabilities, now let's assume for now that they're independent events, then you can think of, you know, what is the probability that any one of these vulnerabilities would be exploited right. on the system? But that system could be, again, a server, a computer, a network, an enterprise, an office, like whatever. And that's a pretty exciting thing. Um, so what we can sort of calculate too, which we probably don't talk about enough, is is the threat posed to an organization, right? What's the probability any one of these, say, public-facing 1,000 vulnerabilities that a medium-sized business might have would be exploited? Well, that's that's a kind of a cool thing to think about. I don't know what will happen with it, but, but you know, that, that that's an opportunity that we have. And there's there's... A segue to talk about the next version coming out. So we're in the process. You know, I mentioned that there's two things we want to focus on. One being automation. The second being the next version. Um, in my mind, I figured by this point in time, we would be working on like version five or something. But we're working on version two. Um, and there's been, you know, we've definitely gotten feedback on version one and some of the limitations, some of the things that people don't think sit right with them and things like that. And specifically like version one to be pedantic says, what is the probability of this CVE being exploited anywhere in the first 12 months? Uh, and that is anywhere, right? And anywhere being exploited in the first 12 months after the CVE gets published. And so if a CVE is a year old or two years old, like what, what is that score telling you? You know, we're looking at different ways of modeling and we're moving to a time to event modeling or survival analysis um, to try and explore that. And again, we're trying to have it all fully automated. And so we're in the process, um, hopefully nearing the point where we're going to be discussing sort of a candidate version two model uh, real soon here. But that's that's where we're headed. And I'm pretty excited about uh, where we're going with that. Awesome. I, I love how we're hopping in at these kind of key moments of v1 sounds like there's a version two coming out pretty soon i love the debates and i want to do this in person at some point uh (laughs) (laughs) um but sasha i mean 
I know you got to hop off pretty soon. Uh, what do you see? Like, what what are you looking forward to on the continuing development? I know V two is coming up, but yeah, I just think again because this is these are new data that no one has seen before. There are all kinds of great opportunities for research questions to ask research questions to identify research questions and then to answer those questions. You know, again, you know, theories driving um, exploit, right? Uh, that's a lofty goal, and I don't think we're pretending we can get there right away. Um, but understanding how that threat changes, right? From the beginning, I've always been a proponent of, of keeping this as open as we can. And I've been able to identify the variables that go into and are highly like statistically correlated with the outcome, because then we can start to track those variables over time and understand how that threat changes. So right now, Microsoft and Adobe are you know, sort of strong candidates, strong predictors of exploitability. That's not a super surprise. Um, but is that going to continue? Is it going to increase over time? Is it going to decrease over time? Are there going to be other variables that pop up? Um, other characteristics of a vulnerability that pop up that make them start to make them more likely to be exploited? I don't know, right? I don't think anybody knows. And I don't think anyone's had uh, the ability to, to sort of collect the data and to interrogate the data to be able to answer these questions. And I think that's Fantastic. So I'm, I'm really excited for opportunities like that. You know, seeing the exploit data themselves, I think is is pretty great. Like what we have on the on the user guide page, and to see this, the scaling, right? So we have a little bit of discussion there on how it could be used at a national security level, right? For yep. a, a national level for domestic security, uh, and to get a holistic picture of like the national level threat. I think that's a great opportunity that we really haven't been able to before. Um, I, don't th- I don't think anyone's had that visibility um, and that opportunity, frankly. Yeah. But it does hinge on having good quality data, right? And so yep. uh, Jay and others have done remarkable, um, done remarkably well at, at collecting those data and developing and fostering the relationships. Um, but of course, they're going to be limited. They're going to be biased in certain ways. We know that. Uh, so that's where more data from more sources, domestically, internationally, you know, wherever, from IDS, from malware researchers, from uh, honeypots, from sort of any other source uh, is really useful. So the more the merrier. So if anyone's listening, if anyone is sitting on a honeypot, right, on a big honeypot, <laughs> you know, collecting exploit data and, and want something to do with it, then... Then, um, then you want to help the community send, and you want to help the you know. community, then send us a note and we'll be, we'll be um, very happy to collaborate. Awesome. Always in search of more data. Yeah. Well, I know that we've got to hop, so I'll let you guys uh, kind of wrap up here, but ultimately this is a great discussion. I look forward to uh, having another sync up on uh, once you guys have version two kind of out in the wild and has some time to have some healthy debates over that. But uh, Jay, anything you wanted to uh, say before we hop off here? Uh, no, I mean, there's no. so many topics to talk about and there's so yep. many interesting things to, to go after that I, it's hard to pick one at the end here, but, um, it's really fun if, if people really love talking about vulnerabilities, um, and, you know, even just reach out and, and even Sasha and I will just meet with you and just probably, you know, gab a little bit about vulnerabilities and stuff. And it's always great to talk to people and find out what they're doing and what they'd want to see in a scoring system like this. So, and we, we know that there are deficiencies and there's obvious growth here, but one of the key things to keep in mind is that we're just trying to improve on what people are doing, right? We're not shooting for perfection right out of the gate. We're going to be able to grow to version three, four, five, you know, version 
23 is going to be awesome. Uh, you know, and so just keep that in mind that we're, we're just trying to improve and help the community one step at a time here. And always remember that Jay's DMs are open. So if you have any complaints or would like an update, hit him up directly. I don't, I don't think they're open. Just <laughs> um, no, but I, again, to the audience, I will link uh, all of the uh, links to contact information and these uh, user guide and the chart as well. So the, the model and uh, the overview of the data sources, uh, Jay and Sasha, Thank you both so much for uh, hopping on and to all of our listeners as well. You guys can go get uh, CPE credits as well for ISC squared. So feel free to go on to uh, the kennaresearch.com slash blog and go fill out your information. Then you'll get some uh, continuing education credits. So thank you everyone for joining. You guys have a nice day. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. Thanks.